Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 248 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Is the pain and frustration from your family or childhood a reason why you drink? Dr. Laura explains how intergenerational trauma is linked to why we drink and more importantly, how we cope. On this episode, you will learn what intergenerational trauma is, examples of what it looks and feels like, and how to heal it. We also discuss how alcohol affects our brain and decision-making skills, how we check out right after our first drink, making ways for old patterns to take hold, and our new healthy habits, we leave those in the dust. This is such a fantastic episode. Let's get into it. Dr. Laura, how are you? What's going on? I'm so good, Jess. How are you doing? I'm great. I am really excited to have you here and to talk about all things mental health, intergenerational trauma, which is like a huge, huge topic right now. I mean, intergenerational trauma is a huge buzzword going around right now. We're going to talk about it and how it relates to your relationship with alcohol to everyone's relationship with alcohol. So I'm really excited to have you here today. Um, Dr. Laura, I know you are a sober girl. Can you Mm -hmm. give us a little behind the scenes about your BS self, your before sobriety self and what she looked like? Sure. Um, So, you know, starting out, so I'm a psychologist and I was um, saying earlier, Psychologists and psychiatrists are different. Psychiatrists prescribe medication, whereas mm-hmm. psychologists, we do therapy and testing and things like that. Um, and I'm a trauma therapist at my heart. So trauma has been my one of my specialties, first working with kids for years, now more working with adults. Um, so, you know, for for in terms of who I was beforehand, I wasn't completely different than who I was now when I was when I was drinking alcohol. Um, partly because, you know, I have my own business, I'm a psychologist, I kind of have to keep my stuff together in general, right? right? Yeah. Um, And, um, but I was a person who grew up in, you know, the times of the 80s and 90s, where the alcohol industry 
was targeting women, right? So there's mm. all this proof now that the alcohol industry started saying in, in the 80s and 90s, like, let's get more women addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So they came up with all of these studies saying wine is healthy for you, right? We've all heard that. Oh, yes. We've yeah. all heard It's that. good for your heart. It's good for your skin, you know, like all these like selling points that women are looking for, right? All these promises. Right, right. And so now those studies have been debunked. Mm-hmm. And they've shown that the alcohol industry paid for over 13,000 scientific studies to prove that alcohol is healthy for you. What? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So they pushed this on women yeah. really hard, right? Then they did the rosé, the pink wines, the this, the that. Yeah. And, you know, and it, and it just made this, oh, air of sophistication around alcohol, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, now we know that no level of alcohol is safe for your body or for your brain. Um, right. not one, one, one a day, it's none of it's safe, but mm-hmm. I grew up in a time where everyone was kind of into this idea and, you know, my family's drinking wine, my friends are drinking wine, you know, we're, you know, kind of going out. So it never seemed like a bad thing, right? Yeah. When they tell you one glass of wine is healthy for you, it's hard to feel like two or three is really unhealthy, Right. Yeah, because one's like a freebie. Right. It's like, oh, I'm doing this for my health maintenance, right? Right, exactly. Mm. And so so I okay. think that's where I got, you know, just, you know, lied to and propagandized by the big alcohol. Um, for me, particularly, I'm a person that suffers from chronic pain. Okay. Um, and I've been suffering from that since I was um, 14 years old, first with back problems, um, then later joint pain and all of my joints and things like that. Mm. Um, later I got a diagnosis, but almost my whole life, I, I didn't really understand why I was in so much pain and, and not being able to walk and having dislocations of my joints and things like that. Mm. So I know for me, I kind of self-medicated, you know, sure. with, with alcohol. And yeah. I would think of it as like, okay, I went through my whole day with this horrible pain. So at night, let me have a couple of glasses of wine. Sure. Um, and you know, alcohol is an analgesic, which means that it's a pain reliever. Um, mm-hmm. And back in the Civil War days, before they had anesthesia, they used to use alcohol before they did surgeries and amputations. So, Oof. you know, right? <laughs> Just oh, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we know it does work, you know, on pain in the short term. Sure. But what we don't, what most people don't know is that it actually creates more pain kind of in the long term. Right. Um, so, you know, I was a person who, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, blacking out or, or having really negative consequences, but I was drinking wine too many nights a week that I knew for, for that was healthy. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, looking in my family, you know, as a psychologist, it's, you know, hard not to look at all these generations and think, what, what am I doing and where are my influences from? I, I lived in a family that was very encouraging of drinking, right. It wasn't a big deal. You know, right. might have had maybe one family member with a big issue, but uh, other people were just drinkers, right? Is what I, yeah. kind of, you know, um, so I basically was, was doing that for a while, but I would get to a point where I'd be like, let me take a month off. Like, uh, this is getting a little too much. Let me take a month off. And after I'd take a month off, when I'd go back to it that first week, I'd be like, okay, two glasses a week. I'm, I'm just going to stick to that. And that would be easy. Then okay. by the second or third week, I'd be back to like too many nights a week, right? Ooh, okay. And it's a slippery what slope. I, 
Right, right. And what I found is that, um, you know, we like to say that when you're trying to control something, it already has control of you. Ouch. Yeah. So So for me, for me, moderation wasn't something that was easy to do. Right. It wasn't something to just be like, okay, let me just have, have one, one drink. Um, and you know, part of the reason that it's not easy, there's no moral failings with people that it's hard to not have one drink. Yeah. What alcohol does is it shuts down the first part of the brain that it shuts down is your prefrontal cortex. Okay. And this is the smartest part of our brain. This is right. the brain that engages in decision making, future planning, and also inhibits behaviors. So if you say to yourself, like, um, like, oh, I want to drive really fast, this part of your brain will like inhibit that behavior. Like, no, stay under the speed limit, stay safe. Right. right. Yeah. So when we say to ourselves, oh, I just want to have one glass of wine, and then we take that glass of wine that part of our brain that can stop us from doing things goes offline. Ah, so that's why it's so easy to slip into two glasses, three glasses, four glasses, bottle. Exactly. Right. Right. Because like the normal control that we have is taken away, right? It's gone. So, so many people try moderating and, and for some people they can do it, but for a Mm -hmm. lot of people, and I know for myself, it's easier to just not drink at all than it is to try to moderate. Um, Well, yeah. And it's like, it it makes sense that that logical part of your brain, your reasoning is gone. And then of course it feels you're in this like cycle, right? Of the shame cycle. It's like, well, why can't I just have one? Why can't I just have two? Why can't I just control myself? Well, you physically can't like that part of your brain is adios. You, like you said, it is off line it is not a personal moral issue right it is your brain is checked out exactly exactly and i love how you bring up shame because one of my reasons for bringing you know talking about this is to take shame away from people who are like oh i may be drinking too much or i am drinking too much it's nothing wrong with you it's because alcohol is the third most addictive substance after cocaine and heroin right so it's 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 where bodies are programmed to like it, right? Some people more than others, which I'll get into later. Okay. So I was a person that I would take months off, you know, here and there. And then um, as a psychologist, um, we have to learn uh, like 30 hours of education every two years. So I was at a conference and I was learning acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a really cool type of therapy. And in learning it, we had to do it on ourselves. And so I chose, like, what's your goal? We all have to come up with goals. So for my goal, I chose physical health as my goal. Okay. Because I was dealing with chronic pain for so many years. I had this ankle problem where I'd keep spraining it and it wouldn't heal. And it was inflamed. And I was like, I want to do everything that I can to be healthy and be able to walk easily. Yeah. Um, So so I I said to myself at that time, let me take three months off when I quit five years ago. I said, let me take three months off. And the reason I said that is because, number one, I'm not a super black and white thinker, um, but I also know that when you say really big things to your brain, like, I'm going to quit for the rest of my life, or I'm never going to drink again, like when we yeah. say things like that, our brain gets really scared and it makes it more, like, less successful at doing. Totally. <laughs> like, that's, right? that's forever is terrifying. It is. It like, is. I don't and know how people get married and say forever. <laughs> <laughs> 
And when do you know you're successful? Do you have to wait till forever to know you're successful, right? Ex exactly. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. So when I do you know you're successful? Right. And, I, and, you know, I think that's, you know, in AA, they do the one, one day at a time thing. I think that's sure. part of that idea, right, is we're just getting through this day. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I had already done months and I said, let me do three months and see how that feels. And I like to experiment with things like as a, as a psychologist, I, I like to see how things work. Right. Yeah. So about midway through the three months, no part of me wanted to go back to drinking. Mm. I, I was just like, um, you know, and I didn't do a program. I didn't do anything, you know, specific. You know, yeah. I had people in my life that supported me, but I, I I just, no part of me wanted to go back. There were so many things and so many positive changes that I was experiencing yeah. that it was just like, this is great. And I wish I did this earlier in life. Okay. Like um, what was happening? What was so great that was like, eh, I don't need to go back to this. I don't need to go backwards. I'm going yeah, forward. So, I mean, I think I was just doing it for, for physical health. I felt like, and like, sure. I just want to work on this. My sleep improved so much. Yeah. And I know a lot of sober girls talk about sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Is um my sleep improved so much. My mental stability and just feeling just like predictable and knowing I, I, I tend to like when I was drinking, maybe say something I shouldn't say. Or like the filter comes off a little bit, right? You know? Oh, yeah. I've been there, <laughs> done that. Yes. <laughs> So I love this, just the idea that I could trust myself to know when I was going into social situations that I, I was in con control of what I was going to say, what I was going to do, everything. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, and I also know that it made me a better therapist. It made my business grow um, just because you're more focused. I was, wasn't tired when I woke up. I was fully there mentally. And, you know, being a psychologist, it's like such an important thing to me. I love what I do. Yeah. And, um, and just being able to help people better and more consistently was just such a bonus for me yeah. too. So um, rewarding. It is. I know you coach a lot of people too. So you understand, right? Oh yeah. It's yeah. like the best, like the next best thing for my own sobriety is also yeah. like passing the baton right? And helping yeah. others. Yeah. 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 It's really special. And that's, and that's like one of the coolest things that you started, right? Is so many women, instead of being ashamed of saying I'm sober, being proud of it and being like, this is a vibe. Like, that's how I feel about my sobriety. I'm like, this is a vibe. I feel slightly bad for people that haven't realized how bad alcohol is for them yet. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, yeah. see the light, you know? Yeah, I mean, not even like how bad it is. Like, obviously, physically, it's it's not not the best. Right. But also, like that, there's a different option. Like, we all right. don't have to be drinking. Right. And just because you don't drink is not like to your detriment. It's not a, a bad thing. It's right. something to celebrate. Exactly. Exactly. It's empowering. And and yeah, we're going to talk about intergenerational trauma in a little bit. Yeah. Um stopping drinking is being a cycle breaker, right? It's breaking these cycles of not great things that happen in families and being like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want to be yep. in control, you know, of, of my life. Yes, totally. Yeah. I think to your point, I love how you said, you know, not drinking, you were able to trust yourself Yeah, and trust yeah. your words because our words and our actions are so powerful. It's all we have, right? Like that's right. what makes 
up our character. That is what makes up our personality. It makes up the type of person we are, our values. And if you don't trust yourself in what you say and what you do, that is a huge inner conflict and inner turmoil that's happening within you. You're so right. And when you're drinking, you can't trust yourself. Your brain is not your brain. You're you're not there. You can't remember everything, you know, like, and it's interesting because when we think about trust, we often think about, oh, people say, I have trust issues. I have trust issues. And it's always about Mm. other human beings. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. about, oh, these bad things happened to me. So I don't, I don't trust people anymore. And unfortunately, at the end of the day, we can't trust other people. Okay. This, this sounds a little bit pessimistic, but we can't trust other people hundred percent because we can't control other people. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like we can control our responses. And I think when people are so kind of obsessed with this idea of who they can trust, they actually need to point the arrow towards themselves mm-hmm. and, and say, let me work on being the most trustworthy person to myself um, because I can control that. Like everyone else is, all of our job in life is to, to kind of like survive and like take care of ourselves. That's our first job, right? Right. Yep. Once we can do that, we can kind of take care of others. But everybody's focused on themselves kind of at the end of the day. So that's why we have to focus on self-trust. And, you know, part of the thing that, that sobriety gives you is like, you can trust your habits. You can trust what time Mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning. You can trust that you didn't, you know, order a big pizza last night when you were drunk and now you feel terrible the next day, right? Like there's, there's so many things that you can trust. And when it comes to relationships, you can trust that you can set boundaries with people that make you feel emotionally unsafe. Yes, totally. Um, I think what, like my whole goal, actually my goal last year, I haven't made actually any goals this year. That's a, that's a good reminder, actually. But my whole, my whole goal that I was working on last year, and I really feel like I've succeeded. And I feel mm-hmm. like I've kind of almost broken this inner pattern within myself is like, I wanted to be okay. No matter what situation, whatever is going on outside me, like to, to what you just said, right? Like Mm -hmm. we can't necessarily trust anyone else, but we can trust ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when you have that deep rooted, solid foundation within yourselves, it doesn't matter what is going on outside of you or what is coming at you, or what maybe you need to like deflect a little bit here and there. But like, you are solid, like your ship is solid, it is sailing along. And you know how to navigate that ship for yourself for where you want to go. And I have to tell you, Dr. Laura, like that was a game changer. Wow, a complete game changer. And just how I looked at other people and like relationships in my life and took off kind of like maybe that, that stress or that pressure Mm. in other relationships. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you're kind of like maybe expectations is a word. Mm. Like I had these expectations like, okay, well you need to do this, this, and this in order for like this to work out, like, like almost like dominoes, right? Like I need everything to work out. So this can all like fall into place. Yeah. That's not life. Yeah. But sometimes it works out like that and it's great. I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. 
Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com ASGG today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash ASGG. Really? <laughs> you're you're so right. And I think that's a, a, a pitfall that we all get, you know, trapped in sometimes is we're always like, well, I'll be happy when I have this thing I really want. Totally. Um, yeah. And and it's like, no, once you get that thing, a whole different set of problems will come up. <laughs> you, know, you have to navigate them, you know, so it's, it's a skill, right? Of yeah. being like, how can I, you know, I was just talking to a client about this, about this idea that we're always like, waiting for these like exciting moments to happen, these fireworks sure. or a relationship or, you know, all these things. Whereas like being cherishing peace and stability and boring moments mm-hmm. is actually a really good skill. Oh, don't, com- don't confuse peace with boredom. That is right. my, the name of the game, sister. Yes. Right. Especially right. in sobriety, because we've been so like jacked up, like having these huge peaks, yeah. real low valleys. Because like you said, when you're drinking, your emotions can be unpredictable, right? right? Like you don't really know if you're coming or going. Right. And so yeah. being kind of even keel seems boring. It does. It does. <laughs> but it's like, and I think, you know, and you know, when you're in your 20s, your teenagers, right? There is that more like exciting stuff of life, but then you kind of get to a point where like you love stability, right? And yes. you love that boredom. And I do think for people that get into sobriety, it's like, how can I socialize? How can I do this? But you realize alcohol is not actually fun, you know? Like it, the ups yeah. and downs, like there's, you know, Annie Grace, um, who wrote The Naked Mind, she talks about that there's only 20 minutes of like kind of euphoric feeling that you get from alcohol. Yep. The rest of it is just shutting off your brain, shutting off your motor skills, all these things, and then yeah. barely remembering the next day what you did. Yeah. 
So we're literally just like walking around like blabbering like fools, right. repeating the same story for the whole night. <laughs> but and that's fun. <laughs> no, we've been trained to think that's fun, right? That's, totally. that's, the, yes. that's the only way. I have a, a friend yeah. who's from Nigeria. And about 10 years ago, when she moved over here, we, um, you know, I was hanging out with the group that was drinking a lot and stuff. And she yeah. said to us one time, she said, all you Americans do is drink. And it was like a flashbulb moment for me, you know? Yeah. And I was like, she's right. Like, you know, we don't do a lot. And then she organized a whitewater rafting trip for, for the group. Oh, and damn. I know. Like, she's really she was- taking it up a notch. <laughs> it was awesome. And it was like, you know, yeah. I, I love listening to people. Obviously, that's what I do for my job. But I love different people's perspectives, right? And not just yeah. being like soaked in this Western culture perspective of you need to drink to have fun and and to all, do all these things. Like so many things are more fun than drinking alcohol. Oh, totally. Yeah. That is so funny that, that she said that. I know. I know. I love her. She expresses herself and she makes good points, you know? Yeah. <laughs> she um, definitely did there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so anyway, so let's think. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about intergenerational trauma. Like Yes, ma'am. We talked about. Can you, can you break it down for us sure. and actually I- define what intergenerational trauma even is? Because like I said, it's a hot topic. It's kind yeah. of like a buzzword out there right now. Yeah. And a lot of people may not know exactly what it is. Yeah, that makes sense. And first, I'm going to define trauma. And because sure. that's also people think it's one thing. and It's, it's a lot of different things. Okay. So a lot of times when we think of trauma, we think of like one single event, like a car accident, okay. or like someone was, um, you know, abused, you know, at this one time. Sure. Oftentimes, trauma is emotional, right? It's, it's emotional abuse. It goes on for years. It can be, you know, emotional neglect where, you know, parents aren't, you know, meeting the emotional needs of their child and the kid feels alone and, and, and they don't develop self-esteem. Um, it's not usually just one thing, right? Um, and, you know, people can experience trauma as children or as adults. And, you know, truthfully, the pandemic was insanely traumatic, right? So all of us know what trauma is, whether or not, you know, how many times we've experienced it in our life. So, you know, trauma is just a thing that it's, it can almost, you know, it can rock your world and make you not feel safe anymore is another part. Okay. Um, so intergenerational trauma, which you said is getting a lot of, of press these days. It's basically the idea that if you have like ancestors or relatives who have gone through traumatic events mm-hmm. um, and most likely haven't dealt with those events. Because if we think about our ancestors 50 years ago, therapy was not a normal thing. You know, no. talk, talking about problems was not a normal thing. Oh my um, gosh, no. Right? <laughs> I Even mean, for still- my parents, forget my ancestors, like right? talking one, one row back. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yes, yeah. it's a more normal thing. Oh, I have a therapist. I have whatever. Right. Yeah. So, so if you know, if you have family members who've gone through trauma, basically it ripples. It's a ripple effect, and it goes down through the generations, and it affects each generation in usually a negative way. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is this idea that you know, it's like, you know, you can see it in families, like if if um, 
you know, oftentimes when I work with people, if if one person I'm, I'm working with has been abused and I say, well, what was your parents' upbringing like? They're like, oh, sure. my grandfather was a severe alcoholic and they, you know, did really bad things to the kids and, and now all the kids have alcohol problems, right? right? So it's almost never, it just comes out of the blue, right? Trauma, right. you know, like if it's a car accident, right? It does. But if trauma is like an emotional thing, um, or it's like an abuse type situation, it's usually passed down through the generations. Okay. okay? Gotcha. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because alcohol, you know, another reason that I kind of wanted to get sober is because I've worked with so many families over the past 15 years, mm-hmm. and I've seen the devastating effects that alcohol has caused on usually the, the children of, of alcoholics. You know, yes. I'll be working with someone and their parent might be in recovery at this moment and then they'll fall back into alcoholism and that person will just be like destroyed. Right. Yeah. Um, like their whole world is kind of thrown off. Yeah. Um, it, it's also just um, seeing seeing how the abuse like I, I've even seen parents, parents be abused, you know, in their child, child, childhood, and then they turn to alcohol to deal with that trauma. So that's, oh, yeah. that's right. I mean, I think everyone has done that. No, <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and it makes sense because, you know, one of the symptoms of, of, you know, trauma is like intrusive memories and flashbacks, mm. right? So it's like, you're trying to go through your day and then the, it comes back to you and kind of takes over. So, yes. and, you know, sleep issues are, are part of trauma and things like that. So totally. it makes sense that people try to kind of self-medicate with alcohol. Um, yeah. Then oftentimes what happens is then they they have kids. They think that they're, well, I'm not as bad as my parent. At least, you know, I'm not abusing my kids. But it, the abuse will come out in some way. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, I think to your to your point, like the emotional abuse, yeah. you know, not, not necessarily, I mean, physical and emotional are, are both horrible, right. but just the emotional kind of neglect and having, you know, from experience, having emotionally immature parents mm-hmm. is so difficult because you, you know, something is off, but you can't pinpoint it. Like it almost makes you, yeah. the child feel a little bit nuts. That's- and, and so like it causes the child to like spin and like you know, really ruminate over these thoughts and experiences and like, well, was I in the wrong? Like, did I bring this upon myself? Like, what, what is actually happening here? Like trying to decipher the situation. And it is, like you said, like, it's not just a one-time occurrence. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's definitely throughout your life. And sometimes you just need a little break from that. So it's understandable why people would reach for alcohol. Exactly. And that's, that's Right. Like immature parents, right. Who have been traumatized. It's almost like they're Mm -hmm. so self-focused on themselves, right? Like sometimes trauma can cause features of narcissism because yes, a parent may have been abused or neglected. They didn't form a normal self-esteem. And so they create this false self-esteem of I'm great. I'm perfect. And you should listen to me and da, da, da. Mm -hmm. And the focus is just all on them. Um, whereas at, you know, your job as a parent is to be focused on your kid and your kid's needs. When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. 
I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. Interesting, right? <laughs> Interesting concept there. It right. sounds right. Yeah, it sounds right. sounds about right. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's, you know, I can see like as clear as day, like you said, through the generations, how you can see like, well, how was your parents raised? Like, how were their parents raised? It, it goes back and you can see it's like a cookie cutter experience. And I think everyone says this. I'm never going to be like my mother, or I'm never going to be like my father. Yeah. Lo and behold, you hit your late thirties and you're like, I'm my mother. You hear yourself saying, Here we are. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, we don't want to put out the idea that like, you know, there's no hope for intergenerational trauma. You're going to be exactly, oh, yeah. you know, like your parents. But right. if you, realize what's going on and you realize patterns, right? Yes. And this is what we do as, as therapists is we realize healthy patterns and unhealthy patterns. And we try to help people realize those patterns themselves and, and empower them to know that like, at the end of the day, they have the control in, you know, breaking those patterns or keeping those patterns going and keeping the, the emotional distress kind of going. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah. it's a really, it's a really interesting topic. And so, yeah, it's, you know, um, it, it's fascinating to think like I, when I think of my generations, like my grandparents, and I, I think about how some of the stuff they went through and they didn't have any knowledge of psychology, you know, they didn't have right. any knowledge of this. And so I do, you know, you have sympathy for people too. It's not like this one way street, you're bad or you're this. We understand yeah. that people kind of were surviving. Um, totally they were surviving. They were doing the best job they could. It yeah. just, it's, but it still produced damage, you know? 100%. Um, and it's yeah, interesting. there's no one to blame. Like, it's not like, oh, well, it's my grandma Carol's fault that this, that, and the other, like, right. No, this is so deeply rooted. Like this is so beyond anyone and so beyond personal um, blame for, right. for any of this. Right. And similar to the the trauma part, Mm -hmm. you know, 
alcohol, I want to talk a little bit about genetic predisposition to alcohol use disorder, which is okay, what we call alcoholism. So, um, and part of the reason I want to do this is to show people to take away some shame, right? Because shame is not a helpful emotion. It's not, you know, it's not really helpful. So basically, um, you know, genetics, you know, we're born with our genetics mm-hmm. and scientists have found that genetics play about 50% role in whether or not you're going to develop a problem with alcohol. Okay? okay. And so there's more than one gene that they've discovered that is kind of um, connected to alcohol, but there's one gene that's very prominent. Um, and it's called ADH1B. It doesn't have a very, you know, okay. snappy name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that is like the main genetic risk factor. Okay. Um, what they found is ethnically people have a higher risk for having these genes depend depending on what your ethnicity is. Ooh. So um, so and this doesn't mean, you know, these are generalizations. So I'm sure there's people in different ethnic populations that, you know break these rules. Of course. But what they found is people of European ancestry, so Caucasian okay. people like you yep. and I, mm-hmm. um, and you know, have a high risk for having these genes, for having genetic predisposition to alcohol. Oh. Okay. Okay. So so basically, you know, people from Europe, white people, yeah. also people from Africa have a higher genetic predisposition for okay. alcohol use disorder. People from Asia and Southeast Asia and Asian countries, they don't have as high a risk for having these genetics. Okay. Really? Yes. And, um, Interesting. and what these genetics do, and, ha- and I want to talk a little bit about how you can tell kind of if you are genetically predisposed to sure. drinking a lot. Um, the genetics, basically, if you have them, it allows you to process alcohol quickly and effectively. Okay. Oh. So people that don't have the genetics, um, what happens is after they first, ha- they have their first drink, they're yeah. s- they'll start to get physically uncomfortable. They'll get flushed, especially Asian culture. They'll yeah. get flushed. Um, they could get headaches. Their stomach would hurt. And, and because of that, they tend to not love to drink because it actually doesn't feel that good. Their body doesn't process it super efficiently. Oh, so it like physically makes them ill. It's like a physical um, rejection almost. Exactly. Exactly. And, and people can break through that and still become, have a problem with alcohol, right? Because, you know, they can be like, okay. Um, And that happens. But on, on the other hand, people who are genetically predisposed, um, when we take a drink, we don't have any physical symptoms. It feels great. Yeah. Right. Roger that. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, okay. No. It's like, no, I don't feel sick. I feel great. I'll have another one because our body is, is able to process the alcohol effectively. Okay. Okay. Yes. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Is that and why it, I could like mm-hmm. always drink so much? And like, actually, the more I drank, the better I felt, like, the less drunk I felt. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know <laughs> But you're a person that is most likely genetically predisposed to it, right? So right. your body can process it and, it and it has just good feelings when it drinks, right? It's yes. just like, I want more of that. I can process that. You know, um, yeah. that's, Let's keep that's the good times rolling. Exactly. 
Exactly. Gotcha. And, you know, looking back, I can think of friends who would take a drink and be like, oh, my stomach hurts. You know, like those are the friends that that might not be. But a lot of us are more so than we think. OK. Oh, yeah. That's so, fascinating. I know. So okay, that makes the sense. other way, the other way that we kind of tell whether or not we're genetically predisposed is we look at our family tree. Okay. okay? Yeah. On both sides you know, mother and father. And, you know, if you don't know everybody and you don't know their history, it might be a good time to ask family members, right? Okay. If you're, if you're concerned, basically. Um, so the more family members you have with alcohol problems, the, mm -hmm. the higher the risk that you also have the genetics for alcohol problems. Okay. okay. So I remember when I was looking at this and I was looking at one side of my family and there was a couple members who had drank too much and become sober through AA. And then mm -hmm. there was, you know, other people who are probably still drinking too much. Right. Sure. And then I look at another side of my family and don't really have as like, I don't really count any point to anybody that really has issues, you know, okay. but I know that I at least have enough family members on the one side who have struggled with drinking a lot and they might not even be struggling. They're all functioning. Right. But like, yeah, I know that they're drinking too much. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so so it's like just more proof that when, when there's I always say, like, when, when you are worried that you're drinking too much, when you worry about whether or not you drink too much, you most likely are. Oh, 100 percent. Right. Yeah. Right. Because anyone who is comfortable or, or is is like happy with their relationship with alcohol, that thought doesn't even seep into their mind. Yeah, it's not even a. Not even on the radar. Right, right. Yeah. So so if you're worried about it, you most likely yeah. are. And again, it has nothing to do with you. Like there's there's no problem, you know, like you can be a person that hasn't dealt with anything that tough in your life and still get addicted to alcohol because totally, you know, because the genetics are there and because our society pushes it on us. It encourages us. It glamorizes it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's and it makes us for people that see the light and get sober, you know, people try to make you feel bad about that. Oh, why do you have a problem? No, I don't. Cause I don't drink. Like, do you have a problem? Like, are yeah. you, you know, totally. So, so Dr. Laura, I, mm -hmm. I want to also talk about how does environment and like the, your, your, your upbringing, how does that impact your relationship with alcohol? Because just to give you an example here, mm -hmm. I don't have anyone, my, my mom, my dad, both sets of grandparents, barely, barely drinking. Like mm -hmm. even at family functions, I maybe remember my grandpa's brother who was um, homeless and he was a drug addict. And that yeah. was like very extreme. That was like mm -hmm. the only person in both sides of our families who ever had an issue with drugs or okay. alcohol. Okay. Fast forward to like present or not present day, but like our me and my three brothers growing up. Yeah. All three of us, we like to call it the hat trick. Yeah. Had issues with drugs and alcohol. Okay. Mm -hmm. How does that even happen? That's an interesting one, right? Do you think it's more environmental? Because we did, as we were talking about before, the yeah. intergenerational trauma. Yeah. We did grow up. Shout out to my mom and dad um, with very emotionally immature parents. Yeah. All three of me, like me and my two brothers have very bad anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I would say our self-esteem and self-worth also very low. Yeah. So would that be considered more like environmental or how would we even explain? Like what, like all three of us. Yeah. Three out of three, hundred percent. Three out of three. I mean, yeah. that's, that's interesting, you know, and I think there's mo- so many factors, right? There's the multiple yeah. factors, you know, number one, alcohol has been taught, especially to our generation as the way to deal with anxiety. Oh, have a drink, you know, yeah. way to deal with trauma, with, with depression. And it's been celebrated. Also in earlier generations, women drinking was very frowned, frowned upon right? Mm. Like for a woman to get drunk, you know, in the fifties or sixties, it was like, Oh God, that, what a scandal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of more societal, I don't know if your family was religious too. Was it, was that any part of it? No, no, no. Okay. They just never like, never was a thing. Like my dad would have a couple beers, but like, yeah. 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 I, I never saw anyone. I never saw my parents or any of my grandparents drunk. Yeah. Gotcha. Ever. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, I think, you know, our culture is bad for our mental health. Yeah. Our Western culture is really bad. It doesn't promote community. Everybody's like addicted to screens. Everybody's been through this stuff. And then we get sold. Um, this is the way to cure your problems. You know, yes. this is the way to cure anxiety. And I think, um, you know, like you said, and you also could have learned you, you and your brothers could have also encouraged each other. I know that kind of helped happened in my family a little bit. Like when your siblings yeah. doing something, you're like, Oh, that's cool. I'm going to do that with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I actually, I agree with that. My, my two youngest brothers, they smoke a lot of pot mm-hmm. and they, they almost have to because their anxiety is so bad. Mm. Like yeah. I, I see them at, at all our family dinners. I'm like, okay, I can see how they would bond over this. Mm-hmm. But I can also see when they don't do it, they are a wreck. Interesting. And it's so sad to see them. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, anxiety does have a genetic linkage. It's about 30% chance if your parents have anxiety yeah. that you'll have it, 30 to 40. Okay. You know, so I think, you know, you guys were dealing and another kind of thing I want to talk about is this, you know, having depression or anxiety or trauma and using that as like a justification mentally, mm. right. For why, yes. why we drink. Right. So, um, so anxiety, you know, is, is such, it's one of the main things people come to me for and come to psychologists for. Right. Sure. And the thing about anxiety is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a normal part of life. Like we have to have some level of anxiety to like get our work done, right? To yep. you know be um, weary around different people. We should be weary around. But yeah, anxiety and our world is kind of like just an, an anxiety producing field. There's beeps going off all the time. There's notifications. You have to do this. You have to work hard constantly. So right, it, you know, and then there's this whole. Um, this, this whole idea that drinking calms you down, you know, mm-hmm. and drinking relaxes you. And so I want to explain that a little bit um, yeah. about that idea. Um, so, and I know um, Dr. Brooke talked about this a little last time, but I'm going to talk about it in a different way. Sure. Um, so basically, 
um, drinking works on our brain and our neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. And GABA is the body's main inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it basically helps the body and brain relax and it mm-hmm. promotes tiredness. Okay. Mm-hmm. So alcohol mimics GABA and it allows the brain to release more GABA. So that's oh. why we immediately feel, oh, a little relaxed and our muscles loosen up. That's why it helps chronic pain as well, too. Right. Um, okay. And so we, you know, we feel relaxed and, you know, it takes the edge off. Like how many times have you heard that, you know, phrase? Oh, my gosh. If I had even a penny for every time I've heard that, I'd be a multimillionaire. Exactly. <laughs> the more times you hear these things, you believe them. You know what I mean? Like we believe all these things until until we're in a place where like this is not working, right? Yeah. Totally. So, so what happens is we drink, um, more GABA is produced, and then so our body's more relaxed, and then our body likes to be at a homeostasis, which means it wants to be balanced at a level of balance. It wants every all the neurotransmitters to be balanced. So when we have too much GABA, what happens is our body shoots cortisol into our brain. It releases more cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. So it increases our heart rate and it, you know, um, activates our body and activates our neurotransmitters. Right. This is why when you first drink, you feel relaxed and it even puts you to sleep, right? A lot of people, you know, drink to, to go to sleep. 100%. Then once the the blood processes the, the alcohol out, the cortisol comes and shoots up, wakes you up in the middle of the night, mm. disrupts your sleep. And then we have anxiety the next day. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, <laughs> that makes so much sense. Okay. So it helps you to like get to sleep, but then it jacks you up. At what, like three, two, three, three in the morning? Two, three, four in the morning is, okay. is when it jacks you up. And then it lasts for, for a while. So, you know, so that's why people don't feel, they feel really anxious, jittery, you know, yeah. the next day. The, the really interesting thing about this is when you drink regularly, they, they have noticed that people's cortisol levels are elevated. Oof. So... Alcohol, you know, it stays in our system seven to 10 days, um, messing with all of our systems. And this is also the reason why people who drink regularly, when they're not drinking, they're grumpy and irritable mm-hmm. and in depressed and anxious and feeling terrible. Mm. And I think we can it's all either a vicious remember cycle. that. Just a yeah. vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And we can, you know, I can think of people in my life and I can remember, you know, times, right. Where it's just like when you're not drinking and that's why people then are so prone to drink again is because they want, they want to reduce that cortisol and get more GABA in, in their body. Right. I mean, I personally was so nice when I was drinking, everyone (laughs) loved me. (laughs) Yeah. And then not drinking, not so much. I mean, for the first little bit. Now, you know, your body needs time to level out too, right? Oh, yeah. You've got, you need to take that break. It's astounding what happens in our bodies. It's, it's, and and the, the beautiful thing is our bodies heal. When we actually yeah. give them time to heal, our bodies heal from alcohol. Our, 
you know, are, you know, they talk about your gut bacteria. Like when you're drinking, you're killing all your gut bacteria that we need. Um, yeah. One of the really interesting things is we always think about um, serotonin as another neurotransmitter that um, antidepressants work on. Sure. What scientists have realized is 90% of the serotonin in our body is produced in our gut and it right. actually goes up to our brain. So, you know, when you're drinking, you're not even allowing that normal production of serotonin. Like it's, it's impossible. It's not impossible. It is very hard to be someone who drinks often and mm -hmm. someone who actually has good mental health. Mm. Wow. Um, and they think they do because they think they're having fun, you know, yeah. you know, but when, when your body is, is dealing with getting a poison out of it yeah. on a regular basis, it's not, you know, it's not doing all these things that we need. For example, sleep, right. you know, sleep is one of the most important parts of our mental health. We think of it as like a physical health thing. It's in insanely important for our mental health. Yeah. When you're drinking alcohol, it disrupts sleep. And so you don't get REM cycles. Right. Um, REM cycles are the cycles that actually process our emotions and our memories. And so that's the time when your brain is kind of healing from the day. Mm. So if you're drinking often, you're, you're not healing your brain. You're not allowing your brain to process normally. Right. Um, and you're not getting restful sleep. Right. Um, so I know, you know, a lot of people, um, once they stop drinking, they love sleeping. Yes. It's, right. Oh <laughs> yeah. I and, am so obsessed with my sleep. Oh my like, God. I have an aura ring because of that. And I, um, it's like, it's like me against me. Like how, how much can I up my sleep score tonight? I am obsessed with it. I love that. And just <laughs> when you were drinking, did you think yeah. that, did you have sleep issues? Do you think you were a bad sleeper? Um, I wasn't a bad sleeper, but I never mm -hmm. woke up feeling rested. rested. Yeah, I was always I I actually dreaded mornings, and I yeah I know this might sound a little bit uh, dark, but I mm -hmm. just didn't want to wake up, mm. like yeah. at all. Yeah, like I'd yeah. be completely fine if I was like, okay, this is the last sleep. Yeah, gotcha. And I think that's also you know, like you said, playing into the whole mental health aspect of it. You know, this is a vicious cycle. If you don't yeah. allow time and space and your body and brain and and your just mind and spirit to heal, you get stuck in these really brutal patterns. Yeah, yeah. And that that shame cycle was we talked about that a little bit. It's like yeah. you you wake up, you feel horrible, you feel ashamed of yourself that you you drank. Then you yeah. try to promise that you'll never drink again. Then that overwhelms you. And then you end up drinking again to cope with the stress, right. you know, right. and it's just an endless cycle. So I think, you know, sleep is one of the most like underrated activities um, out there. Um, and, you know, you know, when you're when you're looking at sobriety, it's like it just becomes something that you wake up feeling rested. I mean, I, I know myself, I didn't think I was a great sleeper. Um, there's actually this really fascinating study on sleep um, where the biggest difference between people that are good sleepers or bad sleepers is the belief of whether or not they're a good or bad sleeper. Oh. And the reason for that is because our beliefs dictate our actions. So right. okay. people, people who believe they can get 
restorative sleep and good sleep, they'll do the sleep hygiene habits that they know will get them a good sleep. They'll go to bed on time. They'll turn off their screens. They'll have, you know, herbal tea before bed. Whereas they won't be drinking alcohol, right? right? Whereas people who think, oh, I'm not a good sleeper. They'll reach for the alcohol at night. They, mm. They'll go to bed way too late. You know, they, they won't do any of the sleep hygiene things that actually help people sleep. So mm. I think that's a really cool study to just know that so much of this is in our beliefs about yes. what we can and cannot do. Yeah. Like we're not trapped to, to one set of behaviors or another. Yeah, we can change. Exactly. And with help from people like you. So Dr. Laura, where can we find you on the World Wide Web? Great. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Mm Um, And so I'm on there. I post some good information. Also, if um, you want to work with me or get to know me better, you can go to my website, which is balancepsych.me. Um, and I'm licensed in 34 states in the, in the nation. So I can kind of work with a large amount of people. Um, and I just want to thank you just for having me on. And I want to thank you for what you do because you inspire so, so, so many people. I remember when I first started following you at 17,000 followers a bunch of years ago, (laughs) and now you're just, you know, all out there. And it's, it's inspiring to know how many people and what a community you're, you're creating for sober girls. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Laura, Dr. Laura, thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience and your knowledge, plenty of knowledge. I'm sure we could go for a whole other episode, which we definitely have to do. But thank you so much for everything. You don't know what you don't know. That's why I love listening and having conversations with mental health experts, just like Dr. Laura. If you know a friend, a family member, or loved one who needs to hear this episode or any of our others, remember that sharing is caring. Make sure to hit that share button and share it along. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at A Sober Girls Guide and head to asobergirlsguide.com. We got your back at any stage of your booze-free journey. Join the Sober Girl Social Club with our live support circles led by our certified coaches. This is a fantastic way to dip your toe in the sober curious pool or to really solidify those changes with your relationship to alcohol. Head to asobergirlsguide.com to sign up today. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.